0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Body by Bee podcast. I hope you're all having a fantastic day, whatever you're up to, whether you're listening to this while eating breakfast or out for a run or in the bath, whatever you're up to, I hope you're having a great time. I will start by saying this is the second time I've tried to record this podcast today. I'm absolutely fuming, literally just recorded it and accidentally did it on the last episode. So... um so yeah, so um, <laughs> I'm not off to a great start, so hopefully I can make this one a little bit more streamlined, because the first episode I recorded was 50 minutes long, so let's hope that I can get it done before that. So what we're going to go through today is all about Q&A, so as I said kind of in the intro session, um, we, with the episodes that I'm planning to do, we'll do some that kind of Q&A, we'll do some that are based on a particular topic, I've then got some random ones which I'm pretty excited to cover, um, but I won't share those with you just now. But for the purpose of this one, we're just going to do question and answer questions that have come from either Instagram. So the question boxes that I put up a couple of times a week, also from client check ins and also just questions that I've had from my friends and and clients and and colleagues. Right. So so that's what we're going to cover today. I managed to get through five questions just now. I literally cannot believe I just spent an hour. (laughs) An hour recording something to then just have to delete it. I mean, it just sums up my my week, to be honest. But yeah, we're going to cover hopefully five questions, and these are all from uh yeah, just just questions from colleagues and clients. So hopefully you find it helpful. Okay, so question number one, numero uno, is that right? I think that's right. So first question is one that I get. I'm not kidding at least once a day that's not an exaggeration probably well I'm not in exactly these words but I pretty much get a question along these lines at least once a day and it really really does not help I think that fitness tracking apps and magazines and websites and you know countless things do kind of preach this and it doesn't me quite a bit but the question is is 1500 calories enough For me to lose weight on, because that is what my fitness pal suggested. So, the answer is at high level probably yes. It depends on your body size, your height, your weight, your activity levels, pre-existing condition. I mean, it it depends on loads of things. But I mean, from a statistical point of view, yes, you probably would lose weight on fifteen hundred calories. Don't know you personally, but most people probably would. But I guess we have to take it back to the point is why are we doing that so we're we're kind of calorie counting because we want to lose weight okay 1500 calories is what my fitness pal came up with the question is more is that optimal not will I lose weight because yeah you probably will is it an optimal number so once again we have to strip it back to think why are you doing this? Why are you wanting to lose weight? And what are your values overall in terms of fitness? So there's more to life, as you guys know, and I always preach, than eating chicken and broccoli every day, right? You know, you've got your family, you've got social events, you've got work, you know, there's loads of stuff going on. And if your life literally resol- revolves sorry, around eating chicken and broccoli and going to the gym, then fair play. You're living the dream and I wish I had your life. Well, not really, but you get my point. There's, there's always stuff going on so the question we need to think of is is that number too low is it too high or is it just right because if that number is too low and you have other stuff kicking about on your life like 99 percent of us do you're not going to stick to that number okay yes in the short term you will absolutely lose weight like i've got no doubt about that so if i for example if i went on 1500 calories myself with my activity levels i would absolutely lose weight okay would I enjoy it? No. Would I probably start resenting the process? Yes. Would my activity levels probably drop because I don't have the energy? Yes. Uh, would I potentially go through a binge restrict cycle because my calories are too low and I'm just craving everything under the sun? Possibly. So, so that's kind of one part of the question. Is what my fitness pal or whatever calorie app or whatever you use setting it too low? And I mean, I, I think it's my fitness pals. Some of them set it at 1,200 calories. Like, guys, there is literally not a single one of you that should be on 1,200 calories. Um, so, so yeah, so that's kind of one part. Is that, is that number too low? Possibly. But then also on the flip side of that, is that number too high? Okay, so I'm not saying, you know, is that number too high that you won't be able to lose weight i.e you're not in a calorie deficit but is it so close to your maintenance that you're not going to see results because you can technically be in a calorie deficit on you know 50 calories less than what you're you kind of maintain at and yes over time you absolutely will get results and to be honest long term that's definitely the most sustainable way of doing it however it's not that simple Because from a behavioural perspective, from an emotional and psychological perspective, if we don't see results on the scales, if we don't see results on a tape measure, if we don't see results in the mirror, or we don't see results in ourselves and how we feel, we're not going to stick to something. Like, Why would you? Why, Why would you stick to a diet or stick to tracking if you'd see zero results after six weeks? I certainly wouldn't. Because, you know, you think about almost... If we put it in like a business term, like your return on investment, like you're investing all the time and changing your habits and changing your behaviours, and then you're not getting a return on it. So those are the kind of two things you need to think about when you're looking at preset calories or just calories in general, because both of those options being too low or too high, you'll still lose weight. But over time, you will probably give up the process. You'll end up disliking the process, resenting the process. And that is not what we want. What we want is the sweet spot, which is in between those two extremes, right? And the easiest way to get said sweet spot is just to do a super basic online calorie calculator. So literally just Google it, like calorie calculator, something will come up. And, you know, I'll just say now that you could do, you know, every calorie calculator you find on Google, you could ask every coach to calculate your calories for you you'll probably get a different result every single time. And that's okay because it's just an estimate. It's just a start point And we know that cal- calculators, calorie calculators are super inaccurate. So just bear that in mind, get a number, okay? And we'll, we'll run through how we get that in a second. But ultimately, that is your start point. And what you need to do from that start point is you need to review, you need to adapt, and you need to iterate. So for anyone that's worked with me, you'll know that's my my fave phrase, my favourite three words in the whole entire universe. But that's what you need to do. So get yourself a number, calorie goal, work to it, review your progress in four weeks. Have a look. Have you lost any weight? Have you lost any inches? If you haven't, you need to review your goal. You need to either look at reducing your calories... Or you need to actually look at your tracking and take a real good look at yourself and think, am I honestly tracking? Am I under tracking some things? Am I forgetting to put things in? That that butter that I, you know, spread on my toast, did I log that? Um, you know, that that's really common and I think I can't remember um who did the study, but it was a couple of years ago. Someone did a study on... but It was literally a load of dietitians. So it was, it was registered dietitians. They did a study on tracking. And I think there was something like 30% inaccurate of their tracking to what they actually ate. And this is registered dietitians. Like, if these guys can't get it right, none of us have got any hope, really. So just bear that in mind. Everything is inaccurate. But if we are consistently inaccurate, we can still spot trends. We can still make changes and we can still improve and iterate okay so as i say best way to start really is to do a cal- calculator online um i mean it will ask you things like weight height activity levels some of them a little bit more um what's the word clever gosh my brain is not working today i like i've like a total inability to think of clever words what's what's a good word for clever I actually don't even know. You can tell I'm doing this in an evening, can't you? Um, but yeah, so some of them are better than others. Some of them are a little bit more complicated. But, you know, ultimately it's going to give you a very similar output. What I will say, if you can't be bothered with all of that kerfuffle, there is a simple way to get a rough goal in terms of calories. If you're thinking about uh, dieting and a calorie deficit. Okay. So a little bit of quick maths for, uh, for a Wednesday evening. So all you need to do is you take your body weight in pounds so i'm going to use a super simple um example because my brain's not working so (laughs) let's say what should we use as an example um let's say 10 stone so that's obviously a quite quite a small person okay so let's say our example is a woman who is 10 stone okay so you start with your base as the total amount of pounds So 10 stone, 10 times 14, as there's 14 stone in a pound, that is 140 as your base, okay? You would then times that if you are a female, anywhere between 10 and 13 times, and if you are a male, anywhere between 11 and 14 times, okay? And how many you times that by is dependent on your activity levels. So... If you are super sedentary, and I mean, you know, you work from home, or like me, you've been working from bed for the last five days, I can tell you now, it's been an absolute dream, been loving it. But if you are like that, and then you don't do any exercise, and your daily steps, you know, you don't get out for a walk, you don't really do anything active, then, you know, you need to start at 10. If you're the total other end of the scale there, and you've got quite an active job, I don't know, maybe you're a waitress and you train quite a lot, maybe you do running a few times a week, maybe you, you know train in the gym a few times a week, then you know, you're looking at more than 13. Most of us are somewhere in between, okay? Um, and then for men, as I say, it's anywhere between 11 and 14. So once you've decided what your activity levels are, you then times your base number, so in this example, 140, you then times that by your activity level number, so in this example, just for the ease of maths, I'm going to use the uh, the times 10. So the super inactive. And then you get your kind of starting calorie deficit calories. So this example, 140 pound person, so 10 stone, uh, doesn't do any exercise, doesn't do anything at all. And her baseline calories for a calorie deficit would be 1400 calories. So that seems super, super low. However, you have to remember that this example, this person is small. Let's just assume she's quite short as well, OK, um, and doesn't do any exercise. So for, for a lot of us, obviously, we do exercise and we, you know, I'm definitely bigger than 10 stone. So, you, you know, your calories would be higher than that. But that's quite a simple way to calculate if you cannot be bothered with the faff of going through calculators or paying a coach to work it out for you. Um, because ultimately, as I said at the beginning, it's, it's just a starting point anyway. Um, but that is probably a good place to start. Okay, so question number two then is oh, oh I've done it in the wrong order. What is wrong with me? First question was actually about creatine. All right, I'll go back on myself. Question number two. <laughs> oh my gosh, who let me like start a podcast? Honestly, I've lost the plot. Okay, number two. Well, it was actually number one. Number two do I take creatine on rest days? Okay, so for the purpose of time, I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of creatine because I do cover this quite a lot. And to be honest, I think I'm going to do a whole podcast on this in itself anyway, because it's super interesting. But to answer this question, the answer is yes, you take creatine every single day for the rest of your life. And you have three to five grams of creatine every day for the rest of your life. Three grams if you're on the smaller side, five grams if you're on the larger side, of course. Uh, I would just say, if you have more than five grams, look, it's, it's really fine. Like, it's not going to hurt you. Some people have like up to 20 grams a day of creatine. You don't need that. You need five grams, really. Uh, but, you know, if you have too much, don't worry about it, basically. Your body will just get rid of it. It's not a toxic supplement, so you, your body won't store it and it go kind of negatively against you. Um, but I, I guess it might be worth explaining probably where this question's come from so a lot of people think that you only have creatine when you've worked out and to be honest I th- I think this is just my assumption I might be wrong and guys let me know if I am totally off the mark here but my assumption is probably it stemmed from the fact that creatine is in a lot of pre-workout blends so in majority well I think every pre-workout I've ever had They normally have about three grams of creatine in a serving of of pre-workout. So I guess people make the assumption, oh, you know, I need creatine pre-workout. And that's to do with my, you know, my exercise performance. Well, actually, it's literally totally unrelated. And to be brutally honest, I don't even know why they put creatine in a pre-workout because it provides zero acute benefits. So with, with a lot of supplements you will have an acute benefit. And what I mean by an acute benefit is you see the benefit of that on a short-term basis and you see it fairly quickly. So caffeine is a great example of that, okay? And so, you know, you have a black coffee, take a caffeine tablet, 20 minutes to an hour later, you feel the effects of that both mentally and on a, on a physical level. And then after a certain amount of hours, depending on how your body metabolizes caffeine, the, you know, the effects will then wear off. So that's an example of, of an acute Um, impact from a supplement chronic is the other way so chronic is you know the opposite of acute basically right so it means your body gets benefit from said supplement or anything it doesn't have to be supplements it could it could be anything over time all right so creatine is one that we benefit from chronically and the reason for that is our creatine stores within our muscles need to be fully saturated for us to feel the benefit of creatine but we won't just like deplete them straight away so if we miss one day of creatine oh well it's not the end of the world just just get back on it the next day and we can't load them straight away because it takes time for that to build up so it literally doesn't make any difference when you take your creatine like if you want to take it in your pre workout that's totally fine if that works for you but you won't see difference in performance based on the creatine you'll see a difference in performance based on the caffeine and sometimes there's some other bits in there that do very little but you know you won't see a a increase in performance from from the creatine at all but if you want to get it in that way fine providing that you train every day and you have your creatine that way every day or if you don't train every day and you don't have pre-workout every day just make sure you top up with creatine on your rest days and you can have it at any time of day. Some people have it in their uh, post-workout shake like I do. Well, not post-workout shake, but just in a shake. Some people have it before they go to bed. Some people in the morning. Some people, actually a couple of you um, this week have said you have it in your coffee, which is interesting. But yeah, you can have it whenever you like. But every single day, regardless of if you're training or not, is the answer to that question. Okay so number 3 then how important is protein when calorie counting short answer to this is extremely important and once again very similar story to the last question i could probably i, I could probably do 2 hours on this i could talk all day about protein and the benefits of protein but i guess if we look at it from a strictly Calorie counting. And I assume when you say calorie counting in this question, you mean you're wanting to lose body fat because obviously you can count calories and go the other way. But the majority of people are doing it to lose weight rather than gain weight. But from that perspective, there's really three reasons why protein is important. Okay, so the first one being protein is satiating. And what I mean by satiating is it fills you up and it keeps you fuller for longer. So, it's two components of satiating. I can't remember which uh, which supermarket it is. I think it might be Marks and Spencers or Sainsbury's. I can tell you now, it's not one I shop at because I'm not posh. But I think one of them do like a, a protein-based ready meal, and I think it's called Full of Longer. Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing slightly, but the point I'm trying to make is, even these supermarkets know that protein keeps you full of longer, right? Okay, so so that's number one. Obviously, that's key when you're dieting. Um, and that is primarily down to the fact that protein takes longer to digest in your, in your body. So one of the ways we get hungry, okay, there, there, there's more than one here, but one of the ways we get hungry is that a hormone called ghrelin basically sends a signal to our brain to tell us that we need to eat, okay? Um, ghrelin's all throughout the body, but it's primarily in your gut, Okay, so if your gut is full and protein is still in it, ghrelin has less chance. Well, it will be less likely to send that signal to your brain to say, right, we need food because there's still food in your gut. Okay, so so that's a good reason why protein is great for dieting, because it keeps you fuller for longer. And obviously that's going to help when, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to be a little bit hungry if you if you've cut your calories. Unfortunately, so. The second part of why it's important when you are dieting um, is the thermic effect of food. Okay, so I'm going to take this back a level firstly. And when we talk about calorie expenditure, so loads of people will talk about calories in, calories out. All right. And calories out is essentially your calorie expenditure. So how many calories your body uses and burns on a daily basis. When we typically think about calorie expenditure, the first thing that comes into our mind is exercise. Okay, so it might be going for a run, getting in the gym, whatever. But actually, there's four pillars of calorie expenditure. Okay, and each of those four, combination of those four will then make up your total daily energy expenditure or your TDEE, as you may have seen um, that that terminology places. So those four pillars are broken down into first one being your basal metabolic rates. All right. BMR. Sometimes called your resting metabolic rate as well. It's the same thing. It's just used interchangeably. So your BMR is, it's the majority of your calories. So it, it, it depends on person to person, obviously. It depends on how much activity you do, um, if you're an athlete, et cetera. But I mean, roughly around 70% of your, your calories um, expended are from your BMR. And your BMR is basically what your body does at total rest so if you were just to sleep all day every day the calories your body needs to survive just doing normal processes such as breathing beating your heart keep you know digestion all of those things just to keep you alive takes a lot of calories takes a lot of energy right so that's kind of the biggest pillar in terms of calorie expenditure The second one is NEAT or non-activity, no, I'm lying, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. I really should not start recording these when I'm sleep deprived and tired. Um, But this one is your kind of daily steps. It's your activity, which isn't structured exercise. So I don't know, things like doing your housework, feeding your cats. I'm saying that because my cat's looking at me and probably needs feeding um hanging up the washing doing your gardening all of that kind of stuff so that falls into the neat pillar and that's really the second biggest one and if you're thinking about how to optimize your calorie expenditure neat is an easy one to do because you know increasing your steps and I mean everyone that's worked with me will know that I have a big focus on steps because they are an easy way to increase your calorie expenditure and your body doesn't really feel a huge amount of that impact. Whereas if you were to try and do the same calorie expenditure change in say exercise you would feel done in basically. I don't know well let's just say if you were to increase your steps by an extra 5,000 steps a day yeah that would probably be quite hard okay but it's doable, providing that you're not already doing a ridiculous amount and you're knackered. But if you were to double your exercise, you're going to feel done in. Like, you you know, your second hour of exercise, you're going to feel pretty tired. Your muscles aren't going to recover very well. And actually, in that second hour, you're probably not going to put your full effort in anyway. So it's borderline pointless. But anyway, I'm digressing again. So, so that's neat. So that's kind of pillar number two. Pillar number three is eat or exercise activity thermogenesis. So that is your structured workouts, all right? And as I said at the start, that's what everybody thinks about when they think about calorie expenditure. But actually, that's only a really small portion of, of actually our calorie expenditure. For most people, it's around 5 to 10%, if that, of the calorie expenditure on a daily basis. So when you think about getting the biggest bang for your buck, probably not the best to invest all your time, effort, energy there and then the fourth pillar which is the point i am finally getting to is the thermic effect of food so the actual process of digestion and the calories and the energy we, we require to digest food differs so you can manipulate this if you want to so protein as a macronutrient costs us costs i guess that's the right word um it takes us more energy to, to digest okay so from if we kind of take a step back again to think about what's the exam question here the exam question here is why is protein important on a calorie deficit if you think about it okay it's going to take me more calories to burn this protein so overall you're then increasing your calorie expenditure so your calories into calorie out ratio is better okay so that's item number two And then reason number three why protein is super important on a calorie deficit is around muscle uh, wastage and muscle building. All right. So it's not impossible to build muscle on a calorie deficit. Absolutely not. If you manipulate it properly, if you optimize your protein, if you stimulate muscle protein synthesis in the right way, you can absolutely build muscle on a calorie deficit. And I can help you do that if you have any questions. So just let me know. But for most people and that's fine, but most people don't have that as a primary goal when they're, they're losing weight. Their primary goal is to lose weight. Okay. But it's super important to try and retain as much muscle as you have. Okay. And this is twofold. So the first reason being from an aesthetic point of view, if you retain your muscle and you lose your body fat, you are going to end up with more of a quote unquote toned figure. Okay. I literally hate the word toned. Um, But you get my point because you'll have a lower body fat percentage, sorry. So your body will look slightly different and you won't be, quote unquote, skinny fat. Not that there's anything wrong with being skinny fat, but for the majority of people, they would prefer a more toned physique. All right. So if you have your protein, you spare your muscle, you're then more likely to have that toned physique rather than a skinny fat physique. Okay. So that's kind of reason number one under this subcategory. And then reason number two. is something you guys would probably have heard of before. And it's to do with, once again, going back to the basal metabolic rate again. So if you have more muscle on your body, that means as a rule of thumb, your BMR is higher. Okay, because having muscle means your body needs more calories just to sustain and keep that muscle and it needs more calories at rest. So if you're dieting and your body needs more calories just to stay alive, you've then got more wiggle room and you're more likely to be in a calorie deficit because your calories out are higher than they would have been, if that makes any sense. So so yeah, so those are kind of the three things in terms of a calorie deficit and protein. So yes, you need it to keep yourself full. Yes, you need it for um, the thermic effect of food. And yes, you need it to retain some muscle mass. We'll say when it comes to the actual amount of protein, though, this one's up for a bit of debate. You'll see a lot on Instagram and well, not just Instagram to be honest, like everywhere. A lot of people say you need an absolute minimum of one gram per pound of body weight for protein. And I think, do you know what actually? I think I learned in my PT course um, more than that. I felt like it was 1.4 gram. Anyway, it was ridiculous, whatever it was. Um, And then I went away and researched it and I was like, oh, yeah, that's not actually quite right. But you do need to focus on protein, but you probably don't need as much as everybody thinks you do. What a good place to start is 0.75 grams of your body weight. No, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) 0.75 grams per pound of body weight. Jesus Christ. So for the example I gave earlier, that was 140 pound person so that would be quick maths here on a a wednesday evening 105 grams so that's a good place to aim for however comes with a caveat that's kind of a minimum goal anything from that up to a gram is a good kind of area to work work towards right so for that particular person 140 pound women anywhere between 105 grams and 140 grams would be excellent if you get more than that that's absolutely fine it's just you then get into the territory of diminishing returns okay so you don't need to have more if you want to have more because it keeps you fuller because you like the taste of it because you absolutely love just eating a plate of steak then you do you that's totally fine but i would just say be careful if you are having lots and lots and lots of protein and you know and you, you're you not used to that necessarily just be careful because it can potentially sometimes cause some stomach issues try to offset that with as much fiber and fruit and veg as you can just to help with digestion because as i said earlier um your body has to work a lot harder to digest protein so we want to make it as easy as possible for our for our digestive systems to work efficiently and effectively so something to bear in mind i uh i read something last was it last night Honestly, this is mental. This is what's everything that's wrong with the industry, right? So I think it was, what was it in? It was in some kind oh, I can't remember. It was in a magazine. I don't typically read fitness magazines for the purpose that most people read fitness magazines. I read fitness magazines. This is really bad to, to actually look and see what like the latest trends and cravings and like myths are so I can go and debunk them most of the time. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I read a fitness magazine. I won't say who, what or any of that, but there was a sample of somebody in there and um, she was basically just saying like kind of what she eats in a week and, and a bit of a, you know, a spotlight on her. And she was broadly my size. Obviously I don't know how much she weighed, but she was definitely my height. And I would say a very similar body shape, maybe a little bit more muscular, not much though. I mean, come on, can't give her everything. And she was saying that she eats 250 grams of protein a day. Absolutely bloody mental. Like, I eat 130 ish. I mean, that's actually a lie. At the moment, I'm not even getting that because of my condition, right? But pre parosmia I was probably eating about anywhere between 130 and 160 on a on a good day. Okay, so that's that's about one pound per pound of body weight, just under. Um, I just think, how the hell does she manage to eat 250 grams of protein a day? Like, I actually, I don't think I'd physically be able to do that. And um, With the amount of calories she's on as well, she must literally just be eating, like, a chicken breast every five minutes. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is, you don't need to eat, like, an excessive amount of protein, unless you want to, but there, there is absolutely no need. So, yeah, hopefully um, that's answered the question on protein. Okie dokie, next one. So, number four. I love this question, by the way. And this one was from mm, about two, three months ago. This was an Instagram question. And thank you to the person who sent this one in. You'll know who it is. Obviously, if you sent it in. Otherwise, you won't know who sent it in. But you get my point. So the question was, what foods help with muscle pain and recovery? So I love this question because it's very topical. And I thought I'd cover it today because I've seen a load of horse poo the last few weeks about this. I don't know if it's because it's like a new year thing and it's just one of these gimmicks that people are jumping on. But the the short answer, and you know, guys, I'm not going to give you a short answer. I'll give you a quote unquote short answer and then I'll give you a long answer anyway. But the short answer is no foods help with muscle pain. And no one puts this better than a guy called Dr. Joshua Woolrich. Woolrich? I think his name's... I'll have to check. I'll put it in the description. Uh, he wrote a book and it's it's incredible. For you that like reading, give it a try. It's called Food Isn't Medicine. I've read it cover to cover twice. I've read a lot of books, nutrition-related books, as you can imagine, over the last few years. And I'd I'd actually probably say it's... It's definitely top three. It's, it's a very, very good book and it's very helpful for everybody. So I think everybody that's listening to this podcast will get some benefit from reading that book. Even I got, even I learned loads from, from reading it. So um, it's definitely worth a go. But the point I was trying to get to before I went off a tangent again is that food isn't medicine. So if you have a pain, you, you know, I don't know, let's say you hurt yourself, you've injured yourself doing a squat like me. <laughs> There is no food that you can eat which will take away that pain, despite what some people say, okay? If it were that easy, like, okay, I hurt my back last week and I've pretty much been bed-bound for five days. Actually, that, that's a lie, I haven't. That's quite melodramatic. I did manage to go to yoga twice, but it's been very painful for five days. But if I could just go to my fridge, pick up a carrot, eat a carrot and my back pain be cured... Well, there would be no problem with the world. Like, imagine that, like, you know, you go to war, get your leg blown off. That's okay. Just like eat a mango and it all goes better. No, like food is not medicine. Food does not help with pain. Painkillers help with pain or other medical treatments or, you know, physio or acupuncture or, you know, something specific to relieve pain helps with pain. A bit of broccoli doesn't help with pain. Okay, so I just needed to get that out there that there are no foods that can help with pain. The only, and I mean, I'm really stretching this and I'm really kind of clutching at straws here, but the only thing that I can think is even remotely close is, well, it's not really pain, but muscle soreness, so delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS, as I'm sure you guys may have heard of, there's, I mean, this is very theoretical. There's no science to prove this um, because DOMs is very, very under- misunderstood. Sorry, uh, you know, there's very little knowledge on it. There's a lot of theories around what they think it could be and and how you may potentially be able to mitigate it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and I will cover that at some point because it's a very interesting topic, but. The only thing that could potentially help with DOMS as a very specific type of pain, albeit I wouldn't really say it was pain. I'd say it was more soreness. But anyway, just humor me would be to increase your protein intake. Maybe <laughs> this, is, this is very theoretical because there's a theory that DOMS is to do with hypertrophy and hypertrophy is essentially your muscles rebuilding to, to kind of come back stronger. So actually, you'd need amino acids to do that. Amino acids are found in protein. So in theory, maybe protein may help DOMS. I highly doubt it. But that's kind of the closest link to anything that I can possibly think of in terms of food helping with pain. The next part is recovery. Okay, so this once again is a great question and it very dep- very much depends on what you define recovery as. So recovery can be can be anything. Well, not anything, but you, know, you could look at recovery as a kind of acute recovery on your muscles. So I don't know, let's say you've done a load of squats and your legs are a little bit sore and how long it takes for you to recover, your soreness goes on your legs so you can then go and do squats again. So that could be one example of recovery. Another example of recovery could be Getting enough energy back in your body so you can then go and train again. So getting your carbohydrates back in, replenishing everything, having a little sleep so you can then, you know, go and exercise. Another type of recovery might be, uh, you know, a mental recovery, your your cognitive function, your memory. Could be how much sleep you're getting or not getting in, in some scenarios. Um, it, it could be anything. Central nervous system. There's loads of different elements of recovery, but I guess my assumption for this question is that it's in relation to recovery post exercise, which is broadly broken down into those first two that that I mentioned around actual recovering and adapting your muscles and then replenishing everything you need in your body to then go and be able to train again. So with this one, you're going to need protein and carbohydrate. Okay, so protein You don't have to get it in the quote-unquote anabolic window like every bro bodybuilder says. You don't need BCAAs five seconds after you've done your squats. You don't need any of that, but you do need protein. Um, Ideally, 25 grams-ish. If you're a little bit bigger, a little bit more. If you're a little bit smaller, a little bit less. But around 25 to 30 grams of protein. Ideally, within a couple of hours of your workout. Guys, these are just ideals. Like, it's not a hard and fast rule. If you don't do it, it doesn't mean you're going to lose your gains. Like... Just aim for that. It's just a good guideline to go with. So so that's kind of number one. And number two would be carbohydrate. Okay. So, as I mentioned, you need to replenish what you've used in your workout. So, when we work out, well, actually, when we do anything, our bodies use glucose. That's the primary source of fuel that our bodies use to power our muscles, to power our brains, to kind of just do anything in life. Okay. And glucose is stored in our bodies as glycogen, mostly. And glycogen is glucose and water stored together, mostly in our muscles, some in our liver and some in our blood as well, okay? So, you know, when people say they've got low blood sugar, for example, that means the glucose has come out of our blood because we've used it up and we need to eat. So once we've done a a big exercise session, or any exercise session, to be honest, we will have depleted most of our glycogen stores because we would have needed that glucose for energy throughout our workout we also sometimes use our fat stores as well so if we're out of energy or sometimes not even if we're totally out of energy but sometimes we we use our fat stores depending on the type of exercise we're doing and sometimes we even use our protein stores so sometimes we even use the stored protein in the form of muscle to power our workouts or to just power our daily life and that's how kind of muscle wastage sometimes happens if that makes sense because we're using that muscle as stored energy anyway so we need some carbohydrate to replenish those stores if you are on a calorie deficit your best option for replacing carbohydrate would be a slow release carbohydrate so things like uh, oats pasta bread um, some veggies rice if you can, the brown varieties of them all, but you don't need to use the brown. It just helps it be even more slow release if that makes sense. And the reason why we want those type of carbohydrates is, yes, it will replace our blood sugar levels and our glycogen levels and our muscles and our liver, absolutely, but it will also keep us a bit fuller for longer. It will give us more sustained energy. And if you're on a calorie deficit, you kind of you you don't want to have the quote unquote, what's the word? Empty calories. I don't like that phrase at all because there's no such thing as an empty calorie. But having, you know, a portion of brown rice instead of the same amount of calories in pure sugar, you are going to feel a lot better, especially if you're dieting and you're going to feel a lot less hungry. Okay. so opt for slow release carbohydrates and a protein source if you can within a couple of hours. Guys, it's not the end of the world if you can't do it. It doesn't matter. At some point, please do eat some carbohydrates so Otherwise, you are going to feel like poo. The only caveat to this is if you are training more than once a day or if you are not on a calorie deficit. So I've just made the assumption here that, that you are. But if you're you know, doing the opposite, let's say you are training very hard or you are kind of trying to build some muscle and you're actually having excess calories. Then you'd want the opposite. So you'd want quick release carbohydrates. So you can get that carbohydrate and that glucose really quickly back into your muscles and you can then be recovered a little bit quicker and then able to go again and you don't need to worry about being full because you know you're ultimately trying to eat more calories anyway if you're on a calorie surplus so hopefully that sums that one up so you can't cure pain with food sadly and recovery protein and carbohydrate Okay, so the last question that we're going to cover today is, what is the best way to hydrate and recover after exercise? So, once again, could be here for for days talking about this, but at a high level, the recovery part, I'm going to park that because we broadly just covered it in the last question, but hydration, we need to strip this back and we need to think of what is hydration? Why do we need it? Why would we be dehydrated in the first place? Because a lot of us, I mean, to be honest, if I think about it now, actually, I'm pretty sure this was even covered in my PT course. I'm not going to say who I did my course with or anything, but there was some somewhat outdated information, especially on nutrition (laughs) that, that we covered. But I know a lot of us are kind of it's drummed into us, sorry, that we just need to drink loads and loads and loads of water constantly. Like we need to drink four litres of water a day. That's literally not true. And from a hydrational perspective, actually, that could possibly actually be detrimental. So, hydration is essentially, on a real basic level, how much water we have available in our body, within our cells and our body, at any one time that's available to use. Because we need the. Um, the elements to which are within water for different reactions, the right word. I guess it is reactions within our body. I don't, I don't know. Not that much of a science geek, but anyway, so we, we need water to do different things within our body, whether that's just like living, breathing, exercising, whatever, right? Pumping blood around your body. We need water. So how do you get hydrated or how do you get dehydrated? So dehydration is pretty obvious we use up that water that's within the cells that would then you know comes out in various different ways and we haven't then replaced said water in the cells our body does a really good job at kind of keeping a balance with this so you it's very difficult to come become super dehydrated or super overhydrated because our body has defense mechanisms in place so if we are starting to get dehydrated, our body will invoke a thirst response. It will tell us, oh, yeah, Brianie, we need some more water. Go and drink something. And that's why we get thirsty. And then the opposite, if I've drunk too much water, our body will go, oh, Brianie, don't need all that water. Sort yourself out. Go to the toilet. And then you'll be going to the loo 20 times. So, you know, you, your body won't hold on to too much and your body will tell you if it needs more. Okay. But the question around how do you rehydrate efficiently after exercise is a good one because a lot of people think just down a pint of water and then happy days will be on your way. Not necessarily true. So there's a couple of ways that you can optimise hydration post run or post gym workout or whatever. First one being choose something that isn't just water and has another macronutrient, well not another macronutrient, but has a macronutrient in it as well, so for example, full fat milk, there was a study, I'll have to dig it out, I can't quote it right now, I read it about six months ago, there was a study which found that full fat milk was actually the best in terms of rehydrating somebody over much better than water, and the theory is because there's fat and protein and a bit of carbohydrate in the milk. OK, so it takes longer for it to be digested and because it takes longer for it to be dehydrated, dehygested cheese, because it takes longer to be digested. I need to go to sleep. And um, there's more opportunity for our body to take the water into our cells. So we need to think about actually how does our body take that water in? What is the actual scientific process here? So we actually take water into our cells through a process called osmosis. So I'm not sure if this is bringing back GCSE science vibes. Sorry guys if it is and if it's triggering some bad memories or good memories in my case. Gosh science was an interesting one. Honestly like I said in my first podcast. I literally hated science so much, I cannot even begin to tell you how much I hated it. Look at me now. It's like I'm a different person. But anyway, so osmosis is the process that we get water from whatever we ingest into ourselves. And at a really high level, what osmosis is, it's the movement of water or an element. It can go, it can be the other way. So it could be, for example, salt between like across, sorry, two cell membranes through a semi-permeable membrane. Does anyone remember that from GCSE science? Never forget that word. So basically, water is crossing from one cell to another through the membrane, And to do that, there needs to be a differing concentration of something in one of the cells. So if one of the cells is like super dehydrated and it's got lots of salt in, as an example, it then comes across a lovely water cell. So I mean, I'm making this really simple here. The water will then easily go into the cell that's super dehydrated because it can cross across that that membrane. So. The easiest way for this to happen and the most efficient way for this to happen is rather than it being plain water, is for it to be water with something else in it, okay? So this is where sports drinks, like, came from. Um, so there's three different types of sports drinks. Well, there's more than three, but there's three broad types of um, kind of carbohydrate sports drinks. So you've got hypotonic, you've got hypertonic and isotonic, Okay so hypotonic are sports drinks which have a lower concentration of carbohydrate than our cells in our blood sugar we have isotonic which is what we you know most of us will recognize so like your leukazate sport or your power aid etc and that's got broadly similar um concentration of sugar in compared to our, our blood and then hypertonic which is like your leukazate energy albeit are they still hypertonic yeah they are still hypertonic um i know they had to reduce their sugar didn't they because of the the old sugar tax a couple of years ago um and that's that's primarily like just an energy source more than a hydration source so hypotonic really good if you just need to get your fluids in isotonic is really good if you need to get your fluids in but you also need to um kind of recover and get your carbohydrates in efficiently as well at the same time and then hypertonic is if you need to get your blood sugar up quickly pretty much a little bit more nuanced than that but at a high level that's that's kind of how sports drinks work so another way to kind of get optimal hydration is to use a sports drink because because of that kind of concentration of sugar within the drink it makes osmosis and makes taking the water in a little bit easier um, also because they do have salt in and electrolytes and sodium. And once again, that f- gives a favourable osmosis condition. So you could do that. Another way that you can optimise hydration is to eat something as well, because that keeps the water in your digestive system for a longer period, which then gives more chance of osmosis, more time for your body to then extract that water. So like fruit and veg is a good example of that. I'm not suggesting that you, you know, do your run and instead of having a drink, like eat a load of apples. I mean, you could, but it's probably the last thing you want to do, to be honest. But but that's an option or just having it with a meal. And then I guess just to kind of round it up and top it off, this was part of the question around how do you then recover as well? If you had a protein shake, Like this is probably like the most perfect thing, albeit I 100 million percent appreciate that if you've done a big run or done a big workout, you may not want a protein shake straight away. Like I can say for myself personally, I don't want to go anywhere near anything with calories for about an hour after I've trained, if I've trained really hard. Some people are totally the opposite, though. They're like ravenous and they like desperately need calories straight away. But I mean, in an ideal world, if you've done a big endurance session, if you've done a big run, something like chocolate milk is perfect because you've got a bit of protein from the milk a bit of fat from the milk and then you've got the carbohydrate from the milk and the chocolate so you're replenishing those glycogen stores that you've just used during your your run you're then getting the liquid in that you've used and would have come out in your sweat and and in your breathing as well um so that's a really good option and then also yeah protein shakes are really good as well because very similar concept you're getting your protein in you're getting your water in your hydration in and you know you're optimizing that hydration because it's not just plain water um, and then if you wanted to you could add in some carbohydrate to that protein shake so there's a couple of different options some people like to make like kind of like a smoothie with oats in um especially if you're in a calorie deficit that's a really good way because that really fills you up and kind of makes it a bit more substantial like a meal or there's some powdered carbohydrate that you can get cyclic cyclic is that cyclic? Is that the word? Cyclic dextrin? I'm really doubting myself here. There's there's a few different types of powdered carbohydrate which is very similar to just sugar basically but a little bit more intelligent um, that, than just sugar. So you could do that and if you had like a protein shake with some carbohydrate in you're getting everything that you need for recovery and also your hydration. I would also say that I mentioned I kind of covered slightly on the the sports drinks piece is around salt. So you need salt for optimal hydration as well. So if you were to look at any like, rehydration sachet, like I've got some right next to me, um, and they've all got salt in because once again, it provides a favourable osmosis setting. But we lose salt quite a lot. And this is probably one, one of my biggest bugbears, not the biggest, but it's up there with things that really bother me in this industry. Is people saying you need to stop eating salt. No, you don't. There are nuances here. Some people definitely need to reduce it. Some people need to be mindful, depending on the kind of food that they're eating that has salt in. But as a rule of thumb, you don't need to stop eating salt, especially if you exercise. If anything, you probably need to increase it because you lose a lot of salt through sweat. And if you don't have the right balance of salt and other electrolytes in your body, you're going to start getting things like cramps and other unfavourable outcomes. So I would say if you're going to rehydrate with a protein shake afterwards, just sprinkle a little bit of salt in there. Sounds disgusting, but it's quite a vibe, especially if you had like a caramel or vanilla or chocolate protein shake or peanut butter one. Oh, I'll tell you that. Protein shake, peanut butter or or actually, no, protein. Oh, I can't get my bleeding words out today. Peanut butter flavour protein. Right, there we go. We got there in the end with a bit of salt it's a game changer. Try that as your kind of post-workout recovery shake and you're getting everything that you need there really. Uh, so yeah, so that's kind of question number five. Okay, so I think I'm going to stop there because I don't know how long I've been rambling on for, but it's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> I really thought the second time around I'd be able to do that a lot quicker, but if anything, I think it's taken me longer. Gosh, oh. Well, guys, I hope that was helpful, useful, if anything. Hopefully you learned something. As always, if you have any questions on any of that, or if you want any further clarity, or, you know, want some further information or help, please feel free to let me know. Inbox is always open. So you can either message me on Instagram, or you can drop me an email. So Instagram is at body underscore by underscore b underscore. And email is info at bodybybee.co.uk. More than happy to help with any questions you've got on there. And then also if you've got any questions about anything, like even if it's totally unrelated to what we've talked about today, or any requests for questions to add to the ever-growing list of Q&A questions, uh, which I say is, is over 100 already, then please let me know and I'll add them to said list and we can discuss them. And yeah, so so hopefully that was useful any feedback, positive, negative, indifferent, irrelevant, whatever, let me know. Always happy to, to take that on board. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, whatever you're up to. Let me know what you thought. And yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking to you all again very shortly. Peace out. Lots of love. See you later.